So last week, Pastor Keith brought an amazing and a timely word, at least for me in my life. He preached on finding direction in a season of uncertainty and how to take control of our unbelief and to start trusting God more and more. And it was really encouraging to me because not only did I need it personally with some things that we were walking through, but also I had already started working on today's sermon. And I knew that his message last week was going to just mesh very well with what God had already put on my heart for today. But what I want you to know is that the enemy does not want you to hear today's message. I can tell you things that have happened over the past two weeks in my life where the Lord has tried to prevent me from being here to tell you what he put on my heart. So I know that it's important, and I know that it's for somebody in this room. So my prayer is that even if it's just one, the one who needs to hear this to know that the enemy doesn't want you to hear this, but God does. Romans 15, 13 says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. So today we're going to take a look at four different aspects of hope and the hope that we have in Christ. It's the hope that transforms. It's the hope that is eternal. It's hope that assists during trial. And it sees what is invisible. So we have hope that transforms. Luke 5, 17 through 26 says, One day Jesus was preaching, and Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there, and they had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. Some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. And as I was reading this, I kind of stopped, and it made me think back to Pastor Paul when uh, you were playing basketball with Pastor Zach and Justin, and you tore your Achilles. And I remember being at the house with Nicole, and I think we got the call first that his Achilles tore, and so we're meeting them outside on their way up from the courts back to Paul and Nicole's house, and Zach is carrying Paul. Now, you weren't completely paralyzed, but you, you could not walk on that foot, so you needed someone to carry you, Right? And I know Justin was there too, and I'm sure he was already planning through how he was going to set the foot and how orthotically this is all going to work out and got Paul set up real good until he could see a doctor. But it also made me think back to December when we had Cade. Um, I ended up having a C-section with him, and um, after surgery, they make you, after six hours post-op, you're supposed to get up and walk. And I was getting up to walk, and I could not put pressure on this leg. There was excruciating pain, and I could not put pressure on this leg. In fact, I passed out three times trying to just get up to walk because the pain was so unbearable. And so we ended up leaving the hospital, and we're getting home. And a lot of times when you're getting home from the hospital with a new baby, you're thinking, how are we going to take care of this baby? It didn't come with an instruction manual. What is life going to look like? How do things look now? And instead, Justin's thinking, how am I going to get my wife upstairs? Like with this leg issue, with this pain, how is this going to happen? And Pastor Zach was like, hey, I'm there in a minute. If you guys need me to come help carry her up the steps, I'm there. I've got this. So reading through this scripture, I was thinking, man, Pastor Zach has been there to physically help carry people. But even as he's away this weekend, he's helping carry people biblically and scripturally in their lives. So you need a friend that's going to help carry you to Jesus. Verse 19 says, when they could not find a way to get into the house, 
Because of the crowd, they went onto the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law had begun thinking to themselves, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God? And Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, why are you thinking these things in your heart? Which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven or to say get up and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins so that the paralyzed, so he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you to get up and take your mat and go home. So for a second, let's think. This man is paralyzed. He's being carried by his friends to this healer, whether he wanted to go or not. He couldn't move. He could have maybe said, I don't want to go. I don't want to go. But that was, that was the most he could do. He couldn't physically stop them. He couldn't physically not allow them to not take them. He was paralyzed. He was being carried by his friends. And then he's healed by words. He's healed by the words of Christ because of the faith that his friends had. And then he gets up. Verse 25 says, immediately he stood up in front of them, took what he had been laying on, and went home praising God. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, we have seen remarkable things today. These crazy friends had one mission. They needed to get their friend in front of Jesus. Even though they faced challenges, they were hopeful and they didn't give up. Many people would have given up and said, oh, the crowd's too big, so we'll just, we'll get him next time. Or, oh, we can't get into the house. We'll just, we'll just wait for Jesus to come outside and, and maybe we can see Jesus. Maybe Jesus can touch him and heal him. But these weren't just any ordinary friends. These were four radical and crazy friends. Think about this. They went onto the roof. They tore tiles off, they created a hole, and then they lowered their friend to get to Jesus. So can I challenge you? Who are you a crazy friend for? Who are you showing up for in their life for them to get to Jesus? Are you showing up in their hopeless situation? Are you praying your friends through unthinkable things? Who are you willing to tear the roof off for? And will your faith champion them and their situation? Because of the hope we have in Jesus, these four friends transformed their friend's life forever. He was once paralyzed and he got up and he walked. And because of that, more and more people heard about the goodness of Jesus. We have hope that is eternal. If the enemy can get you to believe one lie. If the enemy can get you to believe just one thing, it is this. You're alone. Nobody else is going through what you're going through. Nobody else has experienced what you're going through. Nobody else can imagine the feelings, the thoughts, the emotions of your situation. So if the enemy can get inside of your mind and allow you to convince yourself that you are alone, he's one. He wants you to think you're alone in your infertility or in your porn addiction, in your infidelity, your failing marriage, your job situation, your family issues, whatever your fill in the blank is, he wants you to think that you are alone. This is where he gains his victory. But we have to be bold enough 
to stare the enemy in the face and to call him out and to tell him that he is a liar, to remind him that he is a fallen angel, that he belongs in hell, and that that's where he dwells. The enemy so desperately wants to be out of hell, but the only reason he wants out of hell is to drag people back there with him. There was one day I was walking around the house and um, something had come up on my phone and I started laughing and my middle son now um, was like, mommy, what's so funny? I think he wanted in on the punchline. He wanted to know what was going on. He wanted to laugh with me. And I just took a minute and I told him, I said, the enemy is trying to insert himself into a situation where he doesn't belong. So first I'm going to laugh at him and say, no, not today. And then I'm going to tell him to go back to hell because that's where he belongs. And my eight-year-old said, mommy, you're not supposed to cuss. And so I reminded him the context of the word and, and taught him that the enemy has lost all authority to dwell in our minds and in our hearts and in our situations because Christ won on the cross. Yes. Philippians 1.6 says, be confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. We have hope that assists in trials. In the natural, we see trials as problems or trouble or losses or inadequacies, lack of resources. But we have to have a heavenly perspective. 1 Peter 1, 6 through 8 says, And all of this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief of all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even through refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him, and even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. I don't know if you've ever gone through something and in the middle of it, you knew that it was only God that could have brought you through. And in the middle of it, you knew that it was God's grace that carried you through. And then because of that, you can boast about God. You can tell of his praises. You can share of your stories. There was a season in my life when I was not close to God. And the enemy had won that battle of my mind that I was alone. And in fact, I had tried talking to some friends about it. And they ended up talking to their church leaders about it. And their church leaders told them, hey, if this is what she's going through, you can't be friends. If this is what she's experiencing, cut ties because you can't walk through that with her. And these were my best friends. These were my three Christian friends who I knew would walk through anything with me until this point. I had been struggling in our marriage. I had been struggling with just different thoughts. And there was a day that um, I had the kids, and the kids were with me. Um, at this point, Justin and I had been divorced. And we had been separated longer than we had been divorced. And we were going through this, this period where I had no hope of the future. I had no hope of the situation. And, and a lot of times people will tell you, God works in the 11th hour. Just hold on to your hope. God will, God will show up in the 11th hour. But can I tell you that's a lie? Because the 11th hour for us was on August 1st when we were in court and the judge ruled that our divorce was finalized. That was the 11th hour. God, where are you? 
were struggling and, and there, was still, there was still a lot of hope. There were still a lot of people praying for us, but, but hope was lost. That was the 11th hour that people were just, oh, just get there, get there. But if, God, but if we know God's going to show up in the 11th hour, how does that grow our faith in God? How does that grow our trust in him? If we know he's going to show up in the 11th hour, well, we just have to get to the 11th hour and that's it. No, we have to get past the 11th hour. We have to put in the hard work. We have to fight. We have to declare God's victory in situations even when it seems impossible. And so we were well past the 11th hour. We were months past the 11th hour. And there was a three-day time period where the word hope was just on my heart and on my mind. And I couldn't figure out why. I couldn't figure out why this word was on my heart. I was like, Lord, you know, I, I, we haven't really had this great relationship over the past little bit, and I don't really know why this word keeps coming back to me. And I remember having these conversations in the car, and I remember it sparking some panic attacks in me and, and just trying to figure out what it was. And I knew that it was the Lord trying to get my attention, and I knew it was the Lord trying to draw me back into a relationship with him. But it didn't click until a Thursday night when I had the kids over at my apartment and um, I was telling the kids that I needed them to clean up their toys. My four-year-old at the time was playing with this doodle board and um, this doodle board is not the modern like neutral colors that they have now. She's now almost 10, so this is what we had back then. And it's gone through um, house renovations and there's paint all over it and it's not in the pristine condition that it once was. But so what might look like trash to one person, this is a treasure for me. Because as I was telling them to clean up their toys, she said, okay, mommy, but first, how do you spell the word hope? And in that moment, I know my jaw was on the floor and I knew that was the Lord drawing me back to him because he couldn't do, he couldn't do it in my life. He was going to do it through the life of my four-year-old. And so there's a, there's a picture of both throw up. And so I took this picture a few days later once I realized what the Lord was doing. It was still on the doodle board. So she wrote out hope. And her four-year-old handwriting with some triangles and a heart at the end of it because when I tell you her prayer life changed during that season. It radically changed. But also, don't discount the people in your life that God is going to use to bring you hope in situations that feel helpless. Because I could have said, oh, she's four, God can't use her. I could have said, oh, I, ah, she's, just because the word hope was on my heart and on my mind doesn't mean that, that what she's saying lines up and it's, and it's the same thing. But can I tell you, it was. Don't underestimate the power and, the, and what the Lord will bring you to and through for his goodness. So I can talk, I can talk about going through a divorce. I can talk about a custody battle, not so much a battle because we try to be very amicable about it, but I can talk about friends leaving and, and abandoning you and feeling like, Lord, where are you? I've, I've worked in churches, and I've given my life in missions, and I've given my life in these areas, but here I am. Why me? Why am I going through this? Why am I experiencing this? It's not fair. It shouldn't be like this. But can I tell you my hope and my faith in God now looks very different than it did several years ago? 
it's not the same. But even in situations today, we have Cade, the baby that I mentioned earlier, I can have hope that he will start sleeping through the night, but I can also have hope that the, that the holes in the bottom chamber of his heart will close. I can have hope in two different situations, but I can also be praying different prayers of hope in those situations, and my faith can still be grown during that time, and I can have friends come alongside of me, and I can have the church come alongside of me and know that I'm not alone. Because really, up until a few weeks ago, I was alone in that battle with Cade. And I realized I hadn't been advocating for myself. I hadn't been advocating for our family like I knew that I should have been. God wants us to live life together. He wants us to come alongside of, he wants us to tear the roof off for the people in our life and to live life with them and to bring them to Jesus when they can't get to Jesus themselves. Hope sees what's invisible. Psalm 71, 14 through 15 says, as for me, I will always have hope. I will praise you more and more. My mouth will tell of your righteous deeds, of your saving acts all day long, though I now not know how to relate to them all. And I don't know about you, but declaring that you will always have hope, it sounds good. I feel like someone say, hey, do you, do, you hope, do you have hope in Christ? The Sunday school answer is yes. In Sunday school, if you don't know the answer, you can oftentimes say Jesus, and that's the correct answer. So, so to, for someone to say, do you, have, do you have trust in Jesus? Do you have faith in Jesus? How's your... The answer is yes. It, it's, the, it's the feel-good answer. It's, it's what you're supposed to say. But in reality, hope is hard. Hope is trusting the Lord of all of the unseen circumstances. It's hoping that you get the raise. It's hoping that your marriage recovers. It's hoping that you finally get pregnant. It's hoping that his promises come true and hoping that the desires of your heart come to fruition. But what if they don't? What if they don't in your timeline? What if they don't by the time you think that they should have? What does that look like? Can I tell you to not give up on hope? Because God's victory, it's coming. But it's going to look like what it looks like in his timing, not yours. But don't let the enemy get into your head to tell you that you're alone. Don't let him tell you that you're the only one because you're not. Hebrews 11:1 1 says, Now faith is confident in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. By faith, we understand that God spoke the universe into existence. By faith, Abel bought God a better offering than Cain did. And by faith, Enoch was taken from life and straight to heaven, and he did not experience death. My kids like the story of Enoch, and they remember it because he knocked, and it sounds like Enoch. So they do JVQ. That's how they, they buzz in real quick, and they get that answer. Hebrews 11:6 6 says, And without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Are you seeking God more than you're seeking the answers in your situation? Are you earnestly seeking God? Is that your priority? I remember in high school, one of my teachers told me, if you're going to pray about it, don't worry about it. 
And if you're going to worry about it, then don't pray about it. Simply meaning, if you worry about something, pray about it and give it to God. But if you're going to pray and give it to God, don't worry about it. Trust it in his hands. I know that's easier said than done, but can I tell you I've been there? Can I tell you that God's still faithful? By faith, Noah, in holy fear, he built an ark to save his family. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive his inheritance, he obeyed and he went, even though he didn't know where he was going. By faith, even Sarah, who was in old age, gave birth to a child. And by faith, Abraham, when tested by God, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. And as a parent, I cannot imagine walking up a mountain with my child, knowing that I will be walking back down the mountain alone. He was going to take his son as a sacrifice, but God provided the ram. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau in regards to their future. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons. And by faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months. They hid him for three months after he was born. And by faith, the people passed through the Red Sea. But when the Egyptians tried to, they drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell. And by faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. All of these people in all of these stories problems. They had big situations in front of them. But it was their faith in God that produced the invisible hope that they had. They held on to that hope and God got them through. All I have is my hope in Jesus. All I have is my hope in Jesus. And what I would like for us to do over these next few minutes, the band is going to lead us and we're going to step back into a heart of worship. I don't know what it is that you're facing. I don't know what it is that you're going through, but can I tell you you're not alone? Can I tell you that God is faithful? All of the times that he's been faithful in the Bible, he's still faithful in your life now. He's still good and he's still true. His promise is the same. His promise hasn't changed. His promise is good. It transcends all generations. It doesn't stop. It doesn't end because you're going through something. It it presses on and it stays there. Can I just ask you to stand as we go back into worship? We can't receive the blessings from God with closed hands. Our hands have to remain open. Our hands have to remain open to God to receive his blessings of his faithfulness us today at Multiply Church. We can't wait to see you again next week, either in person or online, as we continue to love Jesus and change the world.